the new phrase that we're trying to push towards is FPNA not just being a business partner, which has kind of been the, the, the panacea that we've often sought as finance folks, but more of an integrated operator. So someone that's coming to the table, not just with here's the P&L balance sheet and cash flow, but here's the five or six operational decisions we think are the right way to go and, and how they then relate to and impact the company's financial performance. Welcome to the Hackett Group's Business Acceleration Podcast. Each episode shares our latest research, benchmarks, and best practices on world-class performance. Week after week, you'll hear from top experts on how to avoid obstacles, manage detours, and celebrate milestones on the journey to world-class performance. Hi, I'm Nilia Sadi, Senior Director of Research at Hackett's Finance Advisory Program and your host for today's podcast. My guest today is Jason Logman, Principal in Hackett's Finance Transformation Practice. I'll be guiding the discussion and providing context when needed. As always, a full transcript of this episode can be found at podcast.thehackettgroup.com. Jason, welcome. Thanks, Nelly. Looking forward to uh, speaking with you today. Let's dive right into it because there's a lot for us to discuss. The pandemic has had a significant impact on the financial planning and analysis process and team. Research actually indicates that it was the biggest disruption to finance operation was its inability to keep up with the pace of change and in additionally address rising stakeholders' demands for forward-looking insight. How is that reflected in the trends you see in your area of analytics? It's a good point, uh, Neely. I would say our, our most frequent conversations these days with CFOs are around, how do I get ahead of the next business question? Because many of them found themselves pretty far behind as things change so quickly, be it in an industry that benefited significantly from the pandemic or was significantly negatively impacted. And a lot of concern around how agile their processes were to adjust to those changes. You know, a lot of it was focused on roll-up of data versus actually modeling and then also a lot of financial versus operational focus in the forecasts, which made it so they couldn't make quick operational decisions based on those financial outcomes. So the couple of things we're really seeing quite a bit are a lot of focus on driving to what are those metrics and those elements from operations that matter. Let's not go forecast the world at every skew at every lowest level. How do we get to nimble models that have direct operational linkage to the financial results and really focus our time there. We've had a lot of success with clients taking them from, in one case, a seventy-driver model that was, frankly, not all that accurate, to a seven-driver model that was analytically focused that actually reduced time significantly while also improving accuracy. That's been a big focus. In addition to the desire to drive instead of to point solutions or point forecasts, looking at scenario models and ranges. And then thinking about what the management decisions might be within the construct of that range, as opposed to saying our forecast is specifically X, it's between X and Y. And if we see more trends towards X in the next week to two weeks, we'll make these decisions. If Y, then these. So a couple of the big things that we're seeing, and a lot of that is being enabled by greater analysis of the data and the greater availability of data, which is probably the third biggest trend is, is how do we get our data in finance to be more analyzable, more consistent, so we can do some of these things that it would be of huge benefit to the business. So it sounds like there's going to be, you're already seeing a change in the mindset of the companies and organizations you're working with, and a change 
towards something that is better, newer, and more analytics focused. So can you share with us some of the drivers and catalysts of this evolution to what we call the digital world-class FP&A organization? Absolutely. First and foremost has been the last 10, 11 months that we've gone through from a business perspective, which is, has had a significant catalyst, as we just discussed. I think another key element is that executives, be they CEOs, heads of operations, sales, otherwise, have much more of an expectation of what they should be able to get from finance. It's widely known in you know, business publications and otherwise that analytics is a key element of how companies are being run. And we're finding Many companies are making good progress, but behind in several areas. So there's an expectation of their business partner that they would be able to provide this type of service. And that drives a lot of questions in terms of what are we doing and how would we most effectively accomplish it? And then I think lastly, just advances in technology. What we've seen over the course of the last five years, be it from planning and forecasting tools to modeling type of analysis type tools, to just being able to manage data on a more holistic basis faster that advancement has really said, all right, we can make strides. This is no longer a three-year effort, but a six-month effort with interim deliverables each month to show that progress and to show that value. So I think those three things are really pushing executives towards making progress in this space. So if we think about what FP&A is or was and where it's headed, can you talk to us a little bit about some of the characteristics or the differences between existing past and future FP&A or digital world-class FP&A? Yeah, I think one of the biggest, and this sounds a little bit trite, but the new phrase that we're trying to push towards is FP&A, not just being a business partner, which has kind of been the, the, the panacea that we've often sought as finance folks, but more of an integrated operator. So someone that's coming to the table, not just with, here's the P&L balance sheet and cash flow, but here's the five or six operational decisions we think are the right way to go and, and how they then relate to and impact the company's financial performance. And the folks that are doing that are the ones that, as we talked about a bit before, have a relentless focus on driving to the critical few elements. And whether that's the metrics that we're measuring our company by, uh, we see many organizations that have literally hundreds uh, of metrics that they might be keeping people accountable to at each level of the organization and in different ways in different types of reviews or in different constructs of performance evaluation. So driving towards those critical few metrics, the critical few drivers of those metrics and keeping the business focused on what matters is a huge, and it's not necessarily a digital driver, but something that we see these more advanced digitally focused FP&A functions being able to drive. And then from that, now that we've got a refined set of outputs and drivers that we're leveraging, as you'd imagine for digital, an aggressive leverage of the technology and automation. So once we've gotten to those kind of elements we need to drive, how do we get reporting to be more online dashboard more uh, self-service. A good example, a large industrial manufacturer that we worked with was able to take a large number, it was binders and binders of reports that they used to run their management reviews on at the CEO level and each level down and helped them think through what is the refinement of, again, those critical metrics. And then how do we get, we know it's not going to be perfect, but how do we get them focused on receiving better, quicker, more fluid updates to how those metrics are performing either month to month or even intra-month? And we were able to put together some interim technologies that allowed them to do that in the first three or four months while they continued to work down a path that got them to longer term kind of continuous automation. And the same on the forecasting side. It's becoming very, very common, this is not really a theory, but an element called touchless forecasting, where what my analyst does when they open up their PC is they've got a full forecast in front of them, the history, the projected numbers based on analytic models, be they on revenue or cost or SG&A. 
And they're making decisions based on which operational levers we need to pull to impact performance and then incorporating those into the forecast versus just kind of building them bottom up and rolling up the financial numbers. So those are some of the key elements that we see. And, and I think that the last one would be just a continuous assessment of what's working and what's not. We see too often we get stuck in because of the nature of forecasting happening very regularly along with the close and board meetings and otherwise there's often not a, a focus on stepping back and saying, all right, are these drivers really the ones that make, make a difference for us? Are they really forecasting as accurately as they could be? Are there things we should look to either change or eliminate to make sure that we're making progress? So just that continuous focus on maintaining where they're at and governing it in a way that's not bureaucratic, but but driving that value is, is really important. So I'm hearing two big themes coming from your comments. One is this notion of moving beyond just business partnering and becoming integrated into the business, focusing on the right metrics. And the other one, which you just alluded to, is the evolution of technology and what technology can do to enable you. So to reach both, there's going to be an investment of time or money what would you say is the value proposition of this shift to a digital world-class FP&A organization? The value really comes in two, I would say, kind of tranches. The first being the quantitative impact. So whether it's greater forecast accuracy, our data shows that folks that are leveraging digital tools and some of the elements we've just discussed are three times more accurate across revenue, EBIT, and cash, one quarter out in a year. That's a pretty big impact, especially as you're thinking about being able to make resource allocation decisions in pretty volatile markets, big impact in terms of accuracy. And also quantitatively, a lot fewer FTEs or or full-time equivalents in the process, about 30% fewer for companies that are kind of more that digitally advanced form of FP&A than the uh, individuals that are are, are working through some more of that traditional kind of Excel-based process. And then finally, and one of the most, I think, impactful measures that we talk about with CFOs is around the amount of time their teams are spending collecting and manipulating data versus analyzing and driving business performance. We find about 55% less time is spent collecting data versus analyzing it in companies that have advanced themselves in this space. And that's that's an, an enormous impact for folks to be able to then spend that time making better business decisions. So that's kind of a, a couple snippets of the quantitative aspect. The qualitative, which as a finance person, I, I get uh, very nervous about putting any numbers to it because it's such a, a you know, the law of large, large numbers. But from a revenue perspective, from a cost perspective, being able to have better insight, better visibility, quicker time from analysis to action, is without a doubt provides better service to the to the executives within the organization, allows them to make better decisions, and then therefore impact some of those bigger levers that they have access to. So while it's not, we wouldn't put any specific number on it, there's a big impact to the larger organization and the satisfaction of the executives that are being served by the FPNA function. Given the levers you're just talking about and pulling the right one, is there an example you can share with us of somebody, a company or client you worked with that managed to make the transition to this next level? Of FP&A? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, a $30 billion industrial manufacturer that, that we've worked with for quite a while turned their focus on FP&A maybe a couple of years ago. I think it was three years ago now. What they found was the first thing that they had to, to address, uh, similar to what we might have discussed a bit before, was their CFO found that she just didn't have the handle on what exactly was happening in the operations to impact the financial results. So the first thing that they did was restructure their metrics to say, all right, these are the six or seven I need to hold the head of operations accountable for, the six or seven I need to head of sales accountable for, the six or seven that runs on the SG&A front. And was able, we, uh, they had to think through, all right, we're going to rationalize those 
but then also we're going to get them a way to have better visibility quicker to them. So they put in a very, frankly, and they would say a quick and dirty dashboard that was Excel behind the scenes, but they did it in about a month and a half, two months and got a dashboard up. Now there were <laughs> hamsters on the wheels behind the scenes to get all that data in the right place, but they set a path saying, now we know where we're heading. And they set a path to get a lot of that reporting. And most of it now is automated from source systems into more sustainable and longer term technologies. But they knew they didn't have a bunch of time. Their industry was going through a bit of flux. So they did a really nice job of moving quickly, getting their teams onto a new way of measuring. And then they moved right from there uh, into using planning and forecasting tools to go through that, what we would again, again call a touchless forecast. So they said, look, we got to be able to get our analysts because of this turbulence in the industry to focus on what those drivers are and what the different elements are. So went through and, and set up a relatively simple set of models in one of the leading planning tools and got the historical data in there, kind of parsed out to say, look, revenue is, is everything. Units and volumes drive our whole business. So let's spend some time really thinking analytically and applying regression analysis and some other kind of interesting AI and machine learning to get really good at that piece of the forecast. And then the other pieces, yeah, they're, they're there. They'll be dependent on revenue from volume and letting that flow down. But we're going to take that second and really did a nice job cleaning up that revenue piece and getting that automated. And then as they had time and as they had priority, kind of worked down the rest of the P&L to make sure they, they continued to, to refine and, and drive greater value at each point of the, of the project. So over the course of probably a year, a $30 billion global company made a tremendous stride in getting towards more digital. And now two, three years later, they've gotten to the point where their reviews are conducted online and on their dashboards. There's no printed reports. There's no PowerPoint. It's just the dashboards. And then they've got their forecast process accuracy tremendously increased. And again, the value that the business is seeing is both in the fact that they can make better resource allocation decision as a result of that accuracy, but then also they just feel more confident about the decisions they're making and what's going to happen financially as a result. That's a great example. I think one of the things you mentioned earlier and is definitely captured is in this example is the issue of metrics. It also shows part of that value proposition we were talking about. And that's really exciting for FPNA to become such a big player, have a seat at the table driving business and strategic decisions. Hopefully, some of our audience members are getting ready to move into that path and make changes. So what would you say are the most critical levers for them to pull? And any of them that you want to dig into a little deeper, please go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I, maybe just one point before getting into that, because one, one of the questions that we often face is, what is FP&A? That sounds very broad and very basic. But some organizations will say, all right, that's the four or five people that sit at corporate. And they you know, give us targets, they roll up forecasts, and then they tell us that they're not good enough and then <laughs> send us back to do more. Or some people will think that's maybe it's the corporate and the division FP&A that kind of look at the overall P&L balance sheet and cash flow. In Hackett's world, we look at any person in finance that's helping make and drive analysis and business decisions and plans and forecasts as part of FP&A. That often expands the aperture pretty far and also expands the ability to make impact on it even greater. So as we think about that, again, not limiting it just to those kind of consolidated corporate P&Ls, balance sheets, and cash flows and operational levers, I feel like I've, I've said it a couple of times, but really trying to, to focus the team. We, have, we had one CFO we were speaking with last week who said through this pandemic, they were, they were unfortunately negatively impacted from a revenue perspective significantly. He said, it's like somebody took a spotlight and just shown it on the five or six things that we were clearly from an operational perspective struggling with. So we took those and we said, look, those are the things, those are the elements that we really need to measure, manage, and make sure we've got clear visibility to. 
that was probably, I think it was May or June. And then since then, they've really focused it from what they used to do, which was a massive bottom-up roll-up of all this information. And, and if you wanted to change, you had to call you know six people and roll them down and roll them up. And now they've got a very simple high-level model that allows them, it's not the only thing that they're doing, but they're able to make better summary level decisions. And now they're moving into analytic type capabilities off the back of that based on how those drivers are showing and how they're changing and how they're now morphing as we uh, hopefully come out of this pandemic pretty quickly. So really it's that focus the team on what matters first and foremost, and then work your way in and, and don't feel like you've got, I think the other, the other thing we're hearing a lot of is there are, especially as you talk about a scope that I described around everybody who's doing reporting and planning and forecasting, People get nervous that that's just such a big thing and there's cultural change and there's data that's terrible and there's technology that we'd have to invest in. 100% true. But what we'd recommend, though, is to say, let's take a step back and just lay out a path, lay out a chart of course. Both the, the companies we had talked about earlier, you know, $30 billion global company got a lot. I think they had about 1,000 people doing FP&A type of activities. They said, look, we got we to gotta get these metrics right first, but let's also just set a plan and set a course. So everyone from what the CFO or CEO is going to see that might be different in the near term down to what an analyst in you know, Singapore might be using down the road. Let's get a feel for what that looks like, a vision for where we're trying to go. And then let's just take it one piece at a time, especially as it relates. We're seeing data being a key constraint now as these tools, these planning tools, these modeling tools, these statistical regression tools are becoming so powerful the data can get in there so fast, and then we're seeing it. Oh, wow! That's um, yeah. No, that that data is not good. Uh, either incomplete or inconsistent, or there's a number of issues. So, being able to to lay that out and set a course for how that's going to be addressed over time is a, is a critical step as well. That I think we're seeing a lot of companies start to take those first couple steps because they see the benefit and can drive towards that incremental progress. Thanks for joining me today, and thank you for sharing some of your thoughts and great information about this topic. My pleasure, Neely. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We'd love to know what you thought of this episode. You can write us an email at podcast at thehackagroup.com. And if you like this episode, please share it. You can find the audio, helpful resources, and a transcript of each episode at podcast.thehackagroup.com. You can also subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your favorite listening app so you never miss an episode. The Hackett Group is the global leader in defining and enabling world-class performance. Learn how we can assist with your improvement journey at www.thehackettgroup.com.